Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How are you today? I hope you are having a fantastic fall. I hope you have stayed safe and healthy through this nonsense. And if you're a huge college football fan like me, I hope your team is playing and you're you're seeing some uh, action on the on the gridiron. I have a wonderful guest today. I'm going to have him introduce himself in a moment. And uh, uh, Bruce reached out to me, oh, I don't know, some time ago, and we've been in conversation. And as you guys, if you're regular listeners know, I don't have very many guests on my podcast. And so when I have one, I think it's a pretty special person um, for you to listen to. As always, I want to be your career coach. So remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, schedule a 45-minute consult with me if you're ready to talk about working one-on-one with me. And I want to remind you that in the show notes is the link to the webinar uh, series that I do every week, free webinar on various areas of the job search. So please sign up with that. We're getting more and more people signing up every week, and we're having a lot of fun in those sessions. I do not send them out. So if you sign up, you have to be live and uh, actually show up. And uh, so I hope you'll do that. So today we have Bruce Tolgan on the podcast, and we're going to talk about the art of being indispensable at work. And I think this is such an interesting topic. I know I did, I've done a couple of episodes, one about being indispensable, and then the other one about how you're never indispensable. And it's finding that balance of, you know, giving the most that you can and being the ultimate contributor, but never thinking that you can't be replaced because I think that that can sometimes get you into the wrong headspace that where you're not in service to your employer and you're not doing the best job that you can. So I'm really curious to dig into this topic with Bruce today. So first of all, Bruce, thank you for coming. Oh, thank you so much for having me as a guest on your podcast. It's an honor and a privilege. So why don't you start by telling everybody a little bit about your background and kind of how we got to being here today and to talk about this topic. Well, gee, uh, we've been doing research on the front lines of the workplace for 27 years. Um, And what we do is we do in-depth interviews with people. We ask people, how are you being managed? How does that affect your ability to perform? How do you want to be managed? What's hard for you about your job? What works for you? What challenges are you facing? Um, Why do you go work one place as opposed to another? Why do you leave? Um, And um, we've uh, had more than a half a million people from more than 400 organizations participate in our research over the last 27 years. And so everything we do is based on this ongoing in-depth interview research. And um, so all of my books come out of this research and uh, the challenge that I was tuning into a couple of years ago, uh, people were saying, you know, oh, you know, everyone wants to be indispensable, uh, but how do you do that without becoming overcommitted and drowning in uh, competing priorities? And so that was the puzzle I set out to solve in this new book. So you mentioned that you've written multiple books. How many books have you written, Bruce? Uh, I mean, I type them, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, I've got 21 books, believe it or not. And, um, you know, a lot of them are very short. 
uh, the ones people might have heard of, like not everyone gets a trophy about the millennials. That mm. one, that one made an impact, I guess. And it's okay to be the boss. Uh, it's okay to manage your boss. Uh, I wrote a book years ago called Fast Feedback. That one made an impact. My very first book back in the early '90s was Managing Generation X. Yeah, as a as a baby boomer, I've managed my share of Generation X, and boy, were they a different. You know, it's it's funny. I think if you look at the generational kind of attributes and characteristics, the one that really sticks out is you know if you were playing that game of circle the one that does not belong, uh, the one that is different from the others. <laughs> I think in many ways it would be Gen X. <laughs> Well, you know, back in the early 90s, I was an unhappy lawyer at number two Wall Street. And, um, uh, you know, and back then, uh, the older, more experienced people were looking at people my age and they were saying, you know, you're disloyal, you have a short attention span, you don't want to work as hard, you demand immediate gratification, you want everything your own way and you want it right now. So uh, that was what we call the slacker myth about Generation X. And uh, that's what led me to doing my first in-depth interviews and what led to my first book. And that book just, you know, it hit a nerve. It came out at the right time. And all of a sudden, um, there were more news stories about that book than the number of books that, that sold for a long time. Well, I want to ask a question that we, we didn't talk about, but because of what you kind of, when you introduced yourself, one of the things that I've noticed as I talk to candidates about, um, you know, as I'm working with them on their job search and they're talking about what they're looking for and what they don't want to see, the universal thing that employees never want to see is a micromanaging boss, ever. And so I'm wondering why, what is your take on why bosses micromanage? Well, my view is that micromanagement is largely a red herring. It's, 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 um, it's the shield that employees use when they want to be left alone. Uh, it's the excuse managers use when they don't want to do their job. You know, oh, I wouldn't want to be a micromanager. Um, and usually what looks like micromanagement is undermanagement in disguise. You know, that, that if, if real management is setting somebody up for success, uh, giving them clear expectations, guidelines and parameters, uh, and giving them a time frame in which to meet those expectations, right? Real empowerment is about delegation. It's about pre providing clarity and giving somebody space in which to perform. That's management. So if you're not doing that, if you're looking over somebody's shoulder and saying, hey, dot that I, cross that T, dot that I, cross that T, dot that I, cross that T, uh, that's not management at all. That's two people doing the job of one person. <laughs> so that, that, that's not a management problem. That's a medical problem. You got to get that person some <laughs> tablets. So it's a matter of I, I, as the manager, did not set you up for success. I did not establish expectations and how you were, how your performance was going to be measured. I didn't really do any of that effectively. And so now because of that, I have legitimate concerns that you're not going to do the job right because I didn't tell you what that looked like. And so now I'm, I am going in there and trying to spot, I'm, I'm trying to spot treat a, um, a cancer. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I think the reality is that um, most people, they need more guidance and direction with some tasks, less guidance and direction with other tasks. They need 
more feedback with one responsibility or one project, less feedback with another responsibility or another project. And everybody's different. And um, I think what makes for good management is an ongoing structured dialogue where managers and their direct reports are clarifying uh, performance expectations, um, specific goals, um, the parameters around each goal. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody's different. You have to tune into each person. If micromanagement is too much direction and feedback for this person with this task at this time, the only way to get it right is to calibrate. And the way to calibrate is to be in regular dialogue with your people. And I think, you know, too many managers, they think, well, you know, uh, somehow, it's okay to have your own style. Everybody's got their own style. People are our number one asset. Oh, how do you manage them? I wing it. Well, <laughs> why would you wing it? That's like having an accountant who wings it with the money. Yeah, and that's called Enron, I think, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, the bottom line is that managing people is all about structured communication everybody's different. What one person needs may be very different from what another person needs, but what everyone needs is clear expectations, regular feedback, troubleshooting, problem solving, resource planning, and recognition for their contributions. And um, so, you know, I, I, we do a lot of work with the United States Armed Forces. And one of the things I've learned over the years is, um, you know, look at look at how they lead, manage, and supervise. It's structure, mm -hmm. discipline, coaching. Uh, the most effective coaching style managers in the world are 19-year-old kids who are managing a fire team of Marines, you know, and they've been in the Marines for 18 months and they're managing a fire team and, and, and it's, it, they're guiding, directing, supporting, coaching. Um, and that's good structured communication. And I think this ties in beautifully, um, listeners, to the podcast I put out, episode number 145 back in, in September, that was about how to have that first conversation with your boss and what questions to ask, what information to provide, to have a really structured dialogue right from the get-go. So even if your boss is not someone who is normally having that kind of structure in that initial call or that initial meeting, you can set that up because it's in your best interest to do so and get some critical pieces of information and some dialogue going right from jump. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. So, all right, we're talking about the art of being indispensable at work and finding that kind of balance between giving your very best effort, being the best version of yourself at work and not, you know, leaving it all at the office um, and, and not having that work-life work blend, as I like to call it. I don't like the, the concept of work-life balance. It reminds me of a teeter-totter where one side goes up and the other side has to go down. Um, but talk, let's talk about that. Kind of define this indispensable concept that you talk about in your book. Yeah, well, it's funny because you said earlier that um, uh, nobody's truly indispensable, that, um, that, that everybody can be replaced. And it's funny, if, if I were talking to a CEO, uh, or a C-level executive, and I came to them and said, hey, you know, I found some people in your business who are indispensable. What I would be identifying for them is a business problem that has to be solved, right? Because uh, if somebody's indispensable to your business, 
that's a vulnerability. So it's funny, you know, if you look at it from the perspective of the business leader, uh, it can look very different. But when I tell okay. individuals every single day and what this book is all about is you can't do everything for everyone. And the biggest mistake you can make if you're trying to be indispensable is trying to be everything to everyone, do everything for everyone. Being indispensable is in the eye of the beholder. You should ask yourself, to whom are you seeking to be indispensable? And, uh, you know, people today, they have not just their boss and their immediate team, not just their direct reports, but, you know, everybody's your customer and you have to rely on people here, there, and everywhere. All right, people are coming to you up, down, sideways, and diagonal. We are inundated by requests. Most people, their biggest challenge is how do you make yourself indispensable without drowning in overcommitment? That's the, that's the puzzle. So interesting. I had thought about it in terms of when, a, when an individual thinks of themselves as indispensable, they can move into a headspace of, you know, it doesn't matter what I do, I can get away with certain things, but, but I hadn't thought about it from the perspective of the CEO, he's got a business problem. If he's got, he's got people in his com company that are indispensable. And when I think about people that I would say might have been in my past have been qualified as indispensable in the, in the businesses that I worked in, it was because they, there was a fear factor for that employee and they were holding their knowledge so tightly to the vest because they were afraid of losing their job. And what made them indispensable uh, was that there was no, there was no cross training. There was no one, there was no, um, uh, no, no one to take their place if they, you know, drop dead tomorrow. And, and so I think that's one piece of it, but then there's also this maybe piece of we've given this person too much authority and too much, we've given them too much knowledge base. Um, and that's, what's made them indispensable. Am I on the right track? Well, you know, so some people say, well, what makes somebody indispensable? Is it the person who, you know, they have the critical skills and knowledge to do this particular task or responsibility? And of course, you, you've got to be good at your job uh, if you're going to be indispensable. But we've all known technical experts that nobody wants to do business with, right? Nobody <laughs> wants to deal with them, right? And that's usually because they have a bad attitude or because of the way they manage themselves or, you know, we've all known somebody who's great at it, but yeah, you don't really want to deal with that person. So uh, uh, to me, it's about, you know, if you real, what's the best thing you can do? What's the, the, the best thing you can do for yourself is make yourself valuable. Well, if you're going to make yourself valuable, the question is to whom? And so the, the funny thing is that um, that means serving others. Who are you serving? Um, some people, they go to work and they're all about trying to get their needs met. They're all about trying to get what they want, get what they need. And of course, you go to work to make a living. You, want, you, you need to make a living. You want uh, as much money as you can get. You want control over your own schedule. You want whatever you want. Um, but the way to make yourself somebody other people want to work with, other people want to do things for, other people want to have around, other people want to make good use of your time. 
Uh, other people want you to want to work with them. Uh, how do you make yourself that person? Uh, and uh, the answer is uh, by being really good at serving others, making yourself valuable to others. And since you can't do everything for everyone, that means you have to make good choices. It means you have to manage yourself well. It means you have to conduct yourself a certain way. Uh, you be the best version of yourself is what you said earlier. I think there, you know, a lot of what this book is about is how to practice being the kind of person you want to be practice being the kind of person you should be practice being the kind of person at work. Other people don't want to disappoint. You know, I, I'm thinking as you're talking of my coach, Brooke Castillo, and what she talked about in her early days before she went into business for herself. She worked for Hewlett Packard and she talked about, you know, her job was kind of, you know, just a cog in the wheel, or at least it could have been viewed that way. But she decided from jump that she was going to be the best version of that. She was buying copier parts, I think. And she was going to just like, blow her own mind is the term that she liked to use. And she talked about because of that, she moved up so quickly within the organization. And it wasn't because she was looking to, for external, you know, gratification or external validation. It was, I want to look in the mirror at the end of the day, every day and know that I killed it. And, you know, that has translated so beautifully into her, um, I think right now, $35 million coaching business. And so I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what's that piece of it, right? So you're new in the company and you've got all these people who are, are, are depending on you and looking to you and need things from you. How do you, what are those tips for kind of finding that balance so that at the end of the day, you look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I did it. Yeah, well, so my advice is step one, orient yourself to what you bring to the table, what you have to offer. It, don't focus on what you need and want. Focus on making yourself valuable. The number one thing you need is to be valuable to others. If you're valuable to others, then others will go out of their way to serve you, to take care of you, to help you out. Um, and so, so, so you got to start with that orientation. And then realize you can't do everything for everybody. So you have to make good choices. And I always say, act in every moment as if your reputation depends on it, because it does. And you got to play the long game of reputation. But the hard part is the only way to play the long game is one moment at a time. <laughs> so, right. So you got to try to do the right thing for the right reasons every step of the way. You need a true north. You, you, you need to know what is the mission? What are the priorities? What are the ground rules? What are the marching orders? And, you know, most people have a boss. So I always say, first, you got to go vertical mm -hmm. before you go sideways. Yep. You got to know, you got to be aligned with your boss. And people will say to me, well, does that mean I need to check with my boss before I make a move? And I always say, only if you don't know what to do. Right? If you don't know what to do, then yeah, you better check with your boss, but you should already know what to do. And, and to your point earlier, that's why you got to start that structured dialogue with your boss on day one. You want to be in alignment with your boss. You want nine times out of 10, you want to be able, you want to know what your boss would say. 
And, um, and, and likewise, if you have people who report to you, you got to take care of them. The first person you have to manage every day is yourself. The second person you have to manage every day is your boss. The third person you have to manage every day is anyone who goes home after work and talks about their boss and they're talking about you, <laughs> right? And, you know, and because that's a profound responsibility. And then you say to yourself, okay, how much time and energy do I have left? And often the answer is you do have time and energy left to serve your lateral colleagues. But it really helps to create guardrails for yourself. Uh, you got to take, you got to manage yourself. You got to manage your boss. You got to manage your people. Okay. Now, when somebody comes to you with a request, uh, then the first thing you do, don't jump to yes to please in the moment. Don't jump to no because you feel overwhelmed. Stop and spend time on the request. Be responsive, tune in, respect other people's needs. If somebody's coming to you with a request, that means they're giving you a chance to make yourself more valuable. So even if you don't have the opportunity to say yes, stop, tune into the need, tune into the request, ask questions, make sure you understand, take notes, show that person that you're respecting their need. I love that. I love that sentiment because I think, I think for most people, um, depending on whether they're people pleasers or not, they're automatically going to polarize to yes or no. But I like the idea of let me learn more about this problem. Maybe I'm not the best person for this, but I don't know that yet. And that's certainly not going to be my need. My knee jerk is probably not going to be go see Bob. It's going to be a yes or a no. But if I understand fully what the request is and why I'm being invited in, it may sway me to wet yes. It may make it very clear that no is the correct answer, or I may, I may realize very clearly that Bob is the right answer. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, some people say yes because they want to please in the moment. Some people say yes because they feel they can't say no. Some people say yes because they want to weaponize yes. They want to end the conversation and get rid of you. Yes, 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 but they have no intention of doing it. Uh, some people, they, they don't really hear the ask, so maybe yes is assumed. Sometimes they say yes without understanding fully what's really being asked. Uh, too many people say yes because they want to please in the moment, and then they say no because when they feel overwhelmed, rather than saying yes when they're the best fit to add value for this need. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And so, so when we really drill down to this being indispensable at work, it sounds like, as I have preached so many times on this podcast, it has to start with your thoughts and your beliefs about yourself, your purpose, your uh, strengths, all of those things, and having that really brand is what we're talking about, having your brand really clear, because if you're very clear that your your brand is, I always use the Starbucks, and I don't even like Starbucks, but that's my, I don't know why I use it, but if you're very clear that you are Starbucks coffee, and someone comes in and says, you know, what I really need from you is um, some some milk, some goat's milk, it becomes very clear that you're not the right person for the job. You've gotten that very, you've done the work on yourself to be very clear that you're not the person to meet the goat milk need because you're Starbucks coffee. 
Yeah, now I've done a lot of work for Starbucks, uh, and uh, and 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 I I bet you can get goat's milk at Starbucks. That is probably not the greatest. <laughs> I, I, so I, I, but that's a good analogy because it's like, yeah, I could do goat's milk for you. It's it's really you know going to take me longer, and it's probably not going to be the best goat's milk, and. You know, but it's it's that kind of, I think a lot of people do that. They try to fit the round peg into the square hole out of a sense of people pleasing. Or as you said, I like that kind of weaponized, like, yes, 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 now go away. Um, instead of really looking at, you know, Bob is, Bob is all about the goat's milk. Yeah, and you're exactly right that, you know, and, and this overlaps with what I call the peculiar wisdom of it's not my job, that it's not my job has a bad reputation and it's not something anyone should really say. But often what people are saying is that's not my specialty. And when something's not your specialty, if something is your specialty, see, then that means, you know, you've got the best practices, you've got the repeatable solutions, you've got job aids, you've done this before, you know how long it's going to take, you know, I can deliver that for you right now, and you're going to be really happy with it. And sometimes you say, well, gee, maybe I should get into the goat's milk business, but it's not my specialty. So it's going to take me a while. I'm going to have to learn about that. I'm going to have to source it. I'm going to have, so I could do that for you, but I need to make a business decision for my own brand. As you say, do I want to get into that? And I need to give you fair warning. Hey, that's not my thing. So this might not be the best uh, of what you're expecting. Um, and some of that is how you, uh, how just how you conduct yourself it's transparency it's candor and uh and and if you do know bob with the goat's milk um you know you say look um hey good news um i i have someone who can help you with that yeah and also looking at you know as a piece of your brand looking at where do you want to be five years down the road and does this project this opportunity help you get there. And we, we've talked about that on the podcast before, right? Is it's that sense of, you know, is this a growth opportunity or is this just, 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 it's just goat's milk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's I mean, all it is. right. Some things you say, well, that's not my job, but let's say like, Hey, could you take out the trash? Well, that's not my job, but sure, I'm going to take out the trash. Why? Because some things you do just because you don't want to be a jerk. Of course, you know, you should take your turn. And, you know, hey, could you make the coffee? Sure, I'll make the coffee. And now maybe what you say is, hey, you know what? I'm going to become the one who takes out the trash. I'm going to get so good at that. I'm going to make that one of my specialties. Not because that's going to be great for your career, but because you don't want to be a jerk and you want to do your share. Now, other things you say, oh, wow, that's a chance for me to expand my repertoire. That's, an, that's a chance for me to professionalize a new task, a new responsibility, a new project that might become part of my brand. Yeah, I had, I was reached out to last, in fact, it's been an, a little over a year ago. The program was actually about a year ago from a company that's very well known. You're, you're, you would be familiar with it. And I had done three programs for them before for two different divisions. And 
they reached out to me again and wanted me to do a program in 2019 that was not one I had done before. And I recognized immediately that I was going to have to do a boatload of work to get ready for this. It was going to be a full day retreat on a topic that I had not taught on, but, but with but was in my wheel, could be very easily in my wheelhouse, made sense. And I was willing to kind of recognize that I probably wasn't going to actually make any money off this program when I looked at all the time it would take me, but that then that program would expand my repertoire of presentations that I could offer to corporations along with, and I did it for company X, which is a big deal, right? So I think that's that kind of thing. But if it had been something where I don't ever see a use for this program. I don't, you know, it does, the topic doesn't interest me. I don't really have any knowledge in that. I would be starting completely from scratch. That's a different story. And, and if it were a company I hadn't worked with that, you know, that were, they wanted me back and I wanted to, I wanted to please them. I wanted to satisfy them. So all of that went into that decision-making process to say yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when people say to me, um, you know, what does it mean to work smart? Um, and what it means to me is not necessarily doing something you're already great at, but recognizing that if you're not already great at it, you better put in the time and energy to get great at it and make it your own so that you can do it well. And then, and, and, and candor and transparency with your customer is such an important part of that. Yes, I remember saying to her, that is not a topic that I've done before, but it's certainly in my wheelhouse and I will be glad to do that for you. And so I was very clear in saying, I'm not an expert in, in this topic, but, but I, I will be by the time I get done with you. Yeah. And some things you're just never going to do. You don't go to Chick-fil-A for a hamburger and you don't go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday. And I still say you don't go to Starbucks for gut milk, but we can disagree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure about that. I'm just thinking goat milk might be their thing. Well, I'm going to go to a Starbucks, even though I prefer my little local uh, homegrown. I'm going to say, look, I, I just have a question. I don't want any of your coffee because I think it's burnt, but I want to just know, do you have goat's milk? And how do you <laughs> feel about your goat's milk delivery ability? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be curious about the, uh, the, the report on that. I'll report back to you. All right. So let's bottom line it for the listeners. So why don't we come up with maybe three or four kind of tips that they need to know to you know, be indispensable at work. These, my, my listeners are often high achievers. They're in professional jobs. They're, they're getting into or moving up within the managerial ranks um, and have leadership roles. What do they need to know or do to become indispensable? Well, adopt a service mindset, but that doesn't mean do everything for everyone. It means who do you want to make yourself indispensable to? And my advice is that doesn't mean the biggest big shot. It means one moment at a time, as opportunities come to you, is that a good fit for you? Is that something you can do very well, very fast right now? Or is that something that you want to make one of your specialties? So that's part of it. Uh, if I were to tell somebody, hey, look, step one, go vertical, align with your boss. Step two, if anyone reports to you, make sure they have the support they need. Then know when to say no. If you can't do something, if you're not allowed to do something, or if something's not a good idea or not a top priority, or it's going to crowd out a better priority. Know when to say no. Every good no is there to make room for a more valuable yes. And then know how to say yes. When you say yes, you're making a commitment. So every yes means you need a plan of action 
a plan of execution, a plan to deliver on your yes. Don't overpromise. Uh, so that means you got to slow down when somebody makes an ask. So you know, is this the time to say no? Or am I going to make a commitment? And if I make a commitment, we're going to make a plan of action. We're going to, we're going to know what the ground rules are for how we're going to stay in dialogue. Uh, and, and we're going to know who, what is the sequence of next steps and who owns each next step and what's the timing. And, and then uh, finish what you start, right? So, so that means that... Um, uh, you got to professionalize everything you do. If you're going to do something, be really good at it. Have, make sure you're following best practices, repeatable solutions, um, and then finish one thing at a time. Don't be a juggler. Uh, stop and execute. Focus, execute, deliver. And then um, when you have delivered for somebody, Make sure you have a follow-up process so you can express proper gratitude, so that you can do an after-action review and say, hey, how can we work together better next time? And then plan the next time. And every step of the way, remember, if you're lifting people up, then they're going to want to lift you up too. I love all of those and, and there's just so much, there's so much juicy, juiciness in there. And I, I really identify with the, you know, once you say yes, I, I, I have staked my professional reputation on, you can take that to the bank. There is no, there should be no question in your mind that it will be done because that's just how I built my reputation and it served me very well. So, so much more important to only say yes when you can execute properly and, and not to be that person that cannot be counted on. And uh, I like the idea of the after action and my little plug in there to the listeners is that's a great time when a project has gone well and you have done something for someone, get them to write you a recommendation about that project for LinkedIn. That's going to, that's going to be golden. It's going to be so much more, uh, it's so much better of a written recommendation at that point than down the road five years when you're looking for a new job and you're like, hey, Sally, remember when could you write me a recommendation? Get it in the moment. And I like to have all of those put on LinkedIn because I can take that content from my LinkedIn recommendation and I can put it elsewhere, but I can't put it into LinkedIn from somewhere else. It, the, the person who writes it has to put it on my LinkedIn profile. So I think that's an, a, an excellent kind of add on to your, your last point. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, my advice to others also is um, make sure that you're doing the work of providing thank yous to others and that you're giving them recommendations and expressing your gratitude. So, um, so, 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 you know, Put yourself out there and when when you really appreciate something that someone else has done um you know uh do that in reverse also absolutely you do not have i get a lot of questions about this you do not have to be asked to write a recommendation and if anybody needs help on how to do that for someone unsolicited reach out to me on email i'll be glad to take you through the steps but if you end up deciding you're going to do the goat milk project and bob does help you with it, then you want to write a great recommendation for Bob for his LinkedIn profile as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Bruce, how can the listeners reach out to you? 
Well, uh, rainmakerthinking.com is uh, the best way to find us. That's our website. And of course, the book, it's Harvard Business Review Press. So I'm, uh, I feel like I'm all grown up now. I've got Harvard. And uh, so, uh, um, you know, the book is available wherever books are sold. Excellent. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Bruce, and uh, getting to know a little bit more about your your work and your philosophy. And uh, I greatly appreciate you being on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure and an honor. And uh, thank you so much for having me. You are most welcome. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, remember, check us out on social media, both of us. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Come on, we're giving you great content every single week. And uh, so, so help us out and hook us up and uh, I'll see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach. So be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.